0: Good morning, man, it's just so encouraging, and so uh, beautiful to get to praise our God together this morning as a church family. Um, I'd just like to pray for us again, just in that spirit of how great is our God, and just ask you to pray with me. Pray for me. I'll pray for you that God just open our eyes to see uh, him for who he is, his beauty on display this morning. Father God, we, we come and we just say how great you are. We are not great. We bring nothing except our sin and our brokenness, and yet you make us holy, sons and daughters of God, through Jesus Christ and his death in our place. And you send your spirit to live in us, to make us like Jesus, so that we can bring glory to you. And we just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your people, Lord. I I pray as we sing, you are worthy of all praise. You are. And so we give praise to you, and I pray that this church us as your people would live in such a way that we would put your worth on display for a watching world to see in our homes in our lives in our families lord we ask that you would do that that you would do this morning what only you can do that you would come and meet us here that you would change us that you would save in this room that you'd convict that you'd transform for your glory not to us but to your name be the glory and honor and praise in your name i pray amen Amen. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we're continuing in this awesome study of the book of Timothy. And um, as we go there, just as we walk into this passage, and I love teaching through the book of the Bible because we intersect things that we wouldn't normally probably deal with on a regular basis, just on our own. Today's another one of those passages. And so as we read this, what I want to encourage you to do is to think about what we learned last week and so if you were here first Timothy 2 you can go back and grab it if you hadn't but we talked about distortion in the church we talked about passive men we talked about distracted women and just what was happening in that church context that Paul's speaking to and so out of the the, the struggles and out of the failures of the church, Paul now sets against that backdrop what a true leader of the church should look like. So that's the context. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pews in front of you. We'd love for you to have one as a gift from us. The saying is trustworthy. So what Paul's about to say is a common phrase that the church would know. It's creedal. It would have been something that's said often. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, again, elder, pastor, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, those outside the faith, so that he may not fall into disgrace, a snare of the devil." Growing up, especially in high school and college, I got asked a pretty common question that probably you've been asked before uh, that pertains to this passage. It's one that a lot of times I didn't really know what to answer. And that question was, you know, where do you go to church? And I would answer that question. I grew up at Tri-Cities, so I go to Tri-Cities Baptist Church. And one of the close follow-up questions would always be this. How is Tri-Cities led? And, you know, I would answer, we are elder-led. And typically the response back would be like, what is that? And typically my response would be is, I'm not really sure. I just know it's in the Bible. So that's why we do it, right? That's a good reason. It's in the Bible. That's why we do it. And so out of this passage is where this idea comes from. And what I learned from those conversations, again, it happened a lot, was two things. One is that elder leadership is not necessarily common. That There are a lot of churches in this area. There are a lot of churches in the United States, Tennessee. The world do not practice elder leadership. So what we do is unique. The second thing I began to learn as so I begin reading God's word is that elder leadership is a gift of God's grace to his people. It's a gift of God's grace to the family of God and to the flock of God. and So that's what we're going to look at this morning. How elder leadership right here, 1 Timothy 3, is a gift to you and a gift to me. And I just want to say right off the onset, this has been a difficult passage to prepare for for a couple of reasons. One is because when I read it, it's challenging to me and it's been convicting to me to think of the men who lead as elders in this church. And what I owe to them as far as following them and submitting to them and trusting to them. And it's it's helped me see how much I take for granted the men who lead here. And as an elder and as a pastor here, uh, it's been super convicting to read through this list and see how much I have to grow and the weight of the calling that is here. And so uh, this message is in no way intended to be self-serving. This is us walking through the text together. And what I've seen as I've been in this this week is just the gift of grace that elders are to the people of God. That God has in his grace, listen to this, He didn't just redeem a church through Jesus Christ, set it on course, and then back up and hope it all worked out the way it should. But in his grace, God has designed a structure and a means for God's people to flourish. And flourishing requires leadership. And that leadership is not authoritarian. It's not a ruler. It's not managers. It's men who are called to put Jesus on display to the body of Christ, and that's a gift to them. So here's the big idea this morning um, that I want us to wrestle with, and it's this. Elders are called to shepherd the flock of God like Jesus. Elders are called to shepherd the flock of God like Jesus. There's kind of three components there. There's a calling by God, a calling to shepherd, and that shepherding should reflect Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful thing, and it's the way things we're going to look at. And I just want to say this off the get-go, that there's so much that you could talk about in this. There's so many different texts to come at. We don't have the time to do that. You could make this into a sermon series. We're not going to do that. But I've provided for you a lot of notes and cross-references and a book you can go read. So if you're interested in this, there's more for you. All those notes are online. And we're going to cover a lot of things here. And so if you're a note-taker, don't feel bad. If you can't keep up, you can grab those later. So they're the caveats. So what I want to do is answer questions about elders, okay? So we're going to look at calling, shepherding, Shepherding like Jesus; those three things. So here's the first question: Who should be an elder? Who should be an elder? Verse one says, "The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of the overseer, he desires a noble task." Okay. So this is what we're talking about. And here's an, a definition: An elder is a man who has a calling from the Holy Spirit on his life to shepherd God's family whose calling is confirmed by God's people, and who's qualified to lead a local family of faith. So that's big, so let's break it down. Uh, There's kind of four things there. One is that an elder is a man. If you have any question about that, you can go back and listen to the message from last week. We talked about the different roles that God has assigned within the church last week. So Paul's following that thought up in chapter 3. So it begins with being a man who has a calling from the Holy Spirit on his life to shepherd the family, And whose calling is confirmed by a local congregation. So let's talk about calling and and confirmation. Again, look at verse 1. If anyone aspires, aspires is the key word here to the office of overseer, he desires. That's the second word. So if you underline or circle in your Bible, those are your words. Aspire, desire. The word aspire means to reach out for something. So for those of you who have children, who are young or you were young, you put candy up on the counter, they aspire. They reach out to take that candy when you're looking or when you're not looking, whether you're around or not around. They reach out for it. They are going after it. And so part of the calling that God has placed on an elder pastor is this aspiration, this desire, and this effort to pursue the calling that God has placed in their life. It's an outward effort. But then we see the word desire, and the word desire here means inward compulsion. So the Holy Spirit places on a man of God who's called to be a shepherd, elder, pastor this desire to pursue that. So it's an outward calling and an inward calling. Inward calling, outward effort. So here's the grace. God not only says elders are to lead his church. God calls men to be elders, leave his church. Amen? Wouldn't it be terrible if it was just, hey, you need elders, and then you just pick, and they just pick from themselves? That's not what God does. God calls men through the work of the Holy Spirit to that role that's a comfort that's a grace we don't have to figure it out God does that work but then that work is confirmed through the body so the way that happens is if there's a man who's pursuing that calling that God's laid on his life the rest of the body looks at that man's life his aspiration his desire and confirms or declines that call and so you, what we do here and what is said without scripture is that elders are supposed to be chosen. They're chosen out of the body. They see this call. But then the body confirms and says, yes, this man is called. We see that calling. We confirm that calling. We rejoice in that calling. We see it. Or no, we don't. And lastly, for a person to be an elder, they must be qualified. And we'll get into those qualifications for a minute. So the first question, who should be an elder? This is the who. And it's the first gift of grace. God calls men into this role. Here's the second question. What is an elder? What is an elder? This gets to the second part of that statement I gave you earlier. An elder is a shepherd of the family of God. So an elder is called by God, shepherd of the flock or of the family of God. Again, look at verse 1. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now here's our key word. Overseer is one of the words used to describe the role of elder in the New Testament. To oversee literally means to watch over the flock. That's what it means. It's to protect the sheep. So you see that word used twice. Now there are other words used in the New Testament to describe the same role. Elder is one of those. That's the one that we've chosen to use here at Tri-Cities. Another one is shepherd. A lot of times you hear that as pastor. Three different titles, same person. How do we know that? Well, Acts 20 helps us. So we're going to look at this together. Acts 20, we're going to start in verse 17. And you're going to see these three words used to describe the same person or group of people. Now from Miletus, this is Paul. He's sent to Ephesus. Again, remember, 1 Timothy is written to Timothy who's serving in Ephesus. So these things overlap and called the elders of the church to come to him. So there's the word elders, presbytos, that we see. Dropping down to verse 28, speaking to the same group of men, Paul says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, there's a picture of sheep. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's our word from 1 Timothy. So we see he calls them elders, then later on he calls them overseers. To care, the word care literally means to shepherd. The flock of God, which he obtained by his own blood. So, what we see is in these verses, one group of men used with three different names elder, overseer, shepherd. Elder, overseer, shepherd. So, here's the gift of grace God not only calls the men who are to be elders of a local church, but he calls them to shepherd God's church, not to rule, not to manage. Not to be political, but to shepherd. So let's talk about these three words. The word elder literally means to lead. So elders are called to lead the church of God. Direction and vision. That's a good gift. We need that. We need people speaking that into. To teach, to serve. Those all fall under the role of elder. And it's always elders, not elder. So everywhere throughout the New Testament, Paul always says, or Peter always says, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, call elders. So it's not God's design for one man to lead a church. That's a good gift of grace, right? Because we all know the flaws of one man. God calls a community of men, the elders, to lead in plurality. An elder, in this sense, does not have anything to do with age, It's not an age requirement, it's a qualification based upon biblical maturity and standards requirement to lead. So elders lead, they are overseers, which means they oversee, they protect the sheep. That's what it means. The picture here is of a massive tree that would overlook and shelter the animals, the people, the plants underneath. So elders, they lead the family of God, but they also protect the family of God. Protect from false doctrine... Protect from sin, protect from division and disunity. That's a good gift of grace for God's people. And the last one is that He shepherd the flock. When you shepherd, you think of the picture of a shepherd and the sheep. What does a shepherd do? He feeds the sheep. He loves the sheep. He heals the sheep when they're sick. He disciplines the sheep when they run astray so that they can be protected. He lays down his life for the sheep, this is the role of the elder pastor in your life in my life and that's a good gift of grace from God to us so the elder is called by God through the work of the Holy Spirit the elder is called to shepherd protect lead serve the people of God so how do they do that it's the third question I want to answer what do elders do Here's what they do. And this is so convicting for me. Elders are called to shepherd God's people like Jesus. So that through the work of the Holy Spirit, they might be conformed into the image of Jesus. So an elder is called by God to shepherd his people like Jesus. So there's two parts to this. One is this. An elder is a man who's called to lead, to live, to serve in a way that when you look at his life, you see the life of Christ on display. Man, that's convicting. And I just want to stand up here and say that he's not saying we do it perfectly, okay? Okay. There are no perfect people. If you're a perfect person in the room, would you please raise your hand for all to see because we'd like to see what this is. And if you are, you're lying, so you're now you're imperfect, right? So there's no perfect people in the room. There's no perfect elder in the room. In fact, after the service, if you want to go find my wife, she would be happy to tell you all the reasons why I am not a perfect pastor, perfect elder. So that's not what we're saying, right? But what we're saying is that these men should live in such a way that when We see their lives. We see Jesus Christ on display. Here's the second way this plays itself out. Thank you, brother. The second way we see this play out is that an elder pastor is called to help the flock, the family of God, us, become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's good news. That is a gift of grace to you and to me, that the elder's job is to help us become like Christ. And so here's what Paul does. I want you to look at your Bible if you have it. For the next several verses, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on, Paul goes through this list of the qualifications for elder. Now here's the temptation for you, and this is the temptation for me, is to look at this list and say, oh, That's for elders, that's for pastors, that's for super Christians, that's for someone else, that's not for me. That's not what this is here for. Okay, I want to be very clear. This list is a list of what the life of a Jesus follower should look like. This is a list that if you're a Christian, say, yes, I've placed my faith in Jesus, I'm living for him, he is my life, he is my all. This list is what your life should be becoming like in my life. The elder pastor should exemplify this list. But the list is not written to him. The list is given to the family of faith. How do I know that? Because verse 8 says, likewise. And goes on to talk about deacons. It's not just for elders. It's for the people of the faith. And you have to remember, these churches were small. These were house churches. A lot of times, you might only have 20, 30, 40 people in a church. And so these are just the normal people who live these things out. And so let's just walk through this together. And What I want to encourage you to do in this moment is as we walk through this list, compare this list to your life. Is there anything in this list that doesn't match up with you if you're a Christian, a Jesus follower? And as we read this list, pray for your elders that they would live this out and exemplify it as Christ. So this list is a list of what Jesus lived out. So let's walk through it together. Jesus' followers should be, the first one is, above reproach. Must be above reproach. Uh, Literally, this word means not to be held by. Not to be held by. Here's the picture. Is that if a charge was placed against your life or my life, we could not be held or convicted because our life measures up rightly. Think about that. If a charge could be placed against your life, it would be dropped. Because the way you live, there's no way anyone could place a charge on you. So this is an overarching uh, picture that he gives here of what an elder should be. So that's the first one. Let's keep going. Must be, uh, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, literally a one-woman man is what that means. Or a one-man woman, if you're a lady in the place. What's that mean? It means, doesn't mean this. As long as you have one wife, you're good. If you have two wives, you're out, but if you have one wife, you're good. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, is that you and I should live in such a way, men, that we only have eyes for one if you're married. Ladies, you only have eyes for one. There's no one else captivating your heart. There's no one else you're pursuing. There's no one on the TV screen or the computer screen that's a distraction to you. One woman, man, pursuit of one. Here's the next one. Above reproach, husband of one wife, one woman, man, sober minded, sober minded, literally temperate. And, and the idea here is that there would be nothing in our minds that would be out of order, that would be sinful, that would be distracting from the cause of the gospel. That we would be sober-minded. What's the opposite of sober-minded? Well, intoxicated or inebriated of the mind. The idea is that there's nothing in our minds that is outside the bounds of God's Word that is taking control of us other than the Spirit of God. So have a rightly ordered mind. Here's the next one. Self-controlled. Self-controlled is rightly ordered emotions. So, rightly ordered thoughts. Let's get really practical with the mind and the thoughts. Fear, anxiety, frustration, disappointment, discouragement do not rule our minds. It's okay for them to be present, but they do not rule. Why? Because God's Word rules our minds. Self controlled, our emotions, our desires, Are they being ruled by God's word, ruled by the Holy Spirit, ruled by the fruit of the Spirit? Are we being controlled emotionally? Are we out of control? Are we self-control? So rightly ordered mind, rightly ordered emotions. And the last one's a rightly ordered life. It says respectable, which literally means orderly. A well-disciplined mind leads to a well-disciplined life. Now this doesn't mean that for you, type A's that he's not just talking about like having everything color coded and you know in order and all the shoes are listed alphabetically according to the brand name or whatever that is. That's not what he's talking about. Well-disciplined life. What he's talking about is that the way we live our lives, the way we manage our day to day, is under the control of the spirit. That it's fitting. That it it, it bleeds out the gospel. Above reproach, one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Let's talk about this one. Hospitality should mark the life of an elder overseer, mark the life of a Jesus follower. So let's talk about what hospitality is not. Hospitality is not inviting people over to your home after church on Sunday for fried chicken. Uh, That's southern hospitality. That's not biblical hospitality. Now, if you want to invite my family over for chicken, we'd love to do that. That would be awesome. We'll take you up on it. We have a lot of kids, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about two different things here. The word hospitable literally means lover of the outside. And here's the picture. A hospitable life means you are bringing people into your home and into your life who do not know Jesus. That you love those who are outside the family of God. And they know you love them. You're bringing them into your life. That is gospel hospitality. Here's the other way it manifests itself. The same word where we get the word hospitality from is the same word where we get the word hospital from. So when people come into your life, come into your home, do they experience healing, refreshment, or life? Or are you more life-taking than you are life-giving? That's challenging, right? When people come into your home, come into your life, are they refreshed of spirit? Are they renewed? Are they healed? Because the Spirit of God is working through you to minister to them, and you're bringing people from outside the faith into your home, and they're being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. That's gospel hospitality on display. That should be present in the life of a Jesus follower. That should be seen, evident, in the life of an elder. Able to teach. Now, this is a specific one, to the office of elder pastor, that there's a unique gifting that comes for those who are called to shepherd God's people to be able to teach, to be able to open God's word, to be able to preach, to be able to expound it in a way that helps people understand it. That's a unique gift. But for every Jesus follower, we have a level of accountability that you should be able to disciple someone. You should be able to open up God's word and even if you struggle in it, help them read it and help them understand it and look for answers that we should all be a people who are doing this. So let's keep going. Jesus followers should be, Jesus followers should not be. He says not drunkards. An elder Jesus followers should not be a drunkard. Which means we should not be addicted to anything. There should be no addiction that captivates the life of a Jesus follower. Whether it's alcohol whether it's some sort of substance abuse, whether it's gluttony and food, it could be over anything, any type of addiction that captures your life and pulls you away from the gospel, pulls you away from reading God's word. We are not to be drunkards. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We're not going to get into drinking, right or wrong, how much, all that kind of stuff. But any time a substance or something takes control of us so that the Holy Spirit cannot have control, it is always sinful. Always sinful. So not a drunkard. Here's the next one. Not violent, but gentle. And I love how he says it that way. Not violent. Most of us would probably say, hey, we're not violent. But some of us might be prone to that because of anger and struggles with anger, to be violent, to be aggressive. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, for an elder pastor, but for any Jesus follower, we should not be a people of violence. We should not be people of anger, people who are out of control. But we should be gentle. What does the word gentle mean? It means that we can be tough. In fact, elders are called to admonish Correct, sometimes rebuke people, but you do it with grace, you do it in gentleness, you do it in kindness, you do it out of love, right? So let me just speak to the men in the room, to dads in the room. Are you gentle? Do you lead your wives, your daughters, your sons in firm gentleness, resolute gentleness that flows out of the gospel, resolute grace? Are we gentle people? Keeps going. Not violent but gentle. Not quarrelsome, which means that we are called to pursue unity, not disunity. We do not do things that cause disunity. We do not call it slander and backbiting and and all those kind of things, but we pursue unity. We are called to do that, not lovers of money. He doesn't say that money's wrong or it's wrong for us to have possessions. It's not what he says. But we are called to not love our stuff, love money. We should be generous. We should be stewards. We should see everything given to us as a gift from God that we can give back to him for the advancement of the gospel. Does money, do things, have a hold of your heart? And there's a reason why Jesus spoke as much about money as he did anything else. Because it's quick to grab a hold of our heart. It's quick to grab a hold of our thoughts and our time. And he goes into, there's three more Jesus' followers must, here are three musts that he gives. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Why? For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Simply put, if you can't manage your own house, if you can't lead your house, if you can't love your spouse and love your kids and do it in a way that models the gospel You shouldn't do it in the family of God. If you can't lead your family well, if you can't model the gospel well to your children, to your spouse, you should not lead a life group, should not lead a study group, should not be an elder. That God has given us a first calling and mission field of our home, and elders should lead by example. And unfortunately, we probably all know those pastors or those elders whose kids were just totally out of control. And Paul's saying that should not be the case. Now, are children going to be disobedient? Yes. Are some children going to be unbelievers? Yes. Can you control that? No, you cannot. But the first place we lead is our home. And if we don't lead well at home, we cannot lead well anywhere else. That's what Paul's getting at. Must lead well in the home. Here's the next one. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil must not be a recent convert. Here's, here's what he's saying. In order to be an elder or a leader, and this is something that you should think about and pray about too when it comes to your life, one needs to have spiritual maturity. He's talking about spiritual maturity. If someone who does not have spiritual maturity is put into a position of leadership, they're going to be prone to pride, right? They're going to pursue the position instead of the calling. They're going to pursue the title Instead of the calling. And so Paul says don't do that. Don't put someone into leadership who is immature in the faith. Again, remember, these churches, they're only 30, 40 years removed from Jesus' death and resurrection. So almost everybody in the church is a new convert. So think about how difficult that is. So Paul's saying you have to measure their life or you're setting them up to fail. That's why we don't rush people in the leadership because we don't want to set them up to fail. Lastly... Verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So here's the last one, that we should live our lives in such a way that people who are outside the faith, the family of God, would see our lives and they would think highly of our faith. So here's a couple questions for you and for me that we should think about. One is that when people see your life Does it exemplify the gospel? Do they see Jesus through your testimony in your life? Here's another question. If you didn't tell them or if they didn't know you go to church from your lifestyle, would they even know that you're a Christian? Would they know that you're a believer? that we're supposed to live in such a way that our lives would not cause us to fall into disgrace. And I'm so thankful for our staff elders, but I'm also very thankful for our lay elders, men like David Brewer and men uh, like Larry Durham and Charles Chandler, who they, they don't serve on staff. They have had and have other jobs, and they live and work around unbelievers all the time. And their testimony at Eastman and at Nuclear Fuels is one that's in high reputation. That's what we pray all the family of God would look like. So in conclusion, here's what we've we've said. Elders are men called by God to shepherd the flock like Jesus. They're called. That's a gift of grace. God's work in a man. They're called to shepherd. They're working for your protection, for your care, and for your leadership. That's a gift of grace in your life from God, in my life. And lastly, they're called to shepherd like Jesus so that when you see them, You should see a picture of Christ. Not a perfect picture, but a picture. And they labor, we labor for your joy so that you might become like Jesus, so that you might become who you already are in Christ. That is the calling of an elder. And that is a gift of God's grace to you and to me. So as we close our time, how do we respond to our elders? So here's a few ways for you and for me that we can respond to this that we see throughout Scripture. The first is this. Pray for your elders and their families. If you want to serve your elders and your pastors, pray for them. And can I just tell you as one, this means so much to me. When you come up to me and you tell me you're praying for my wife and for my kids... You send me notes or email and say I'm praying for you. You don't know how much that means to me. As you read this and hear this message, I hope you hear the weight of responsibility. Can Imagine the call is for us to shepherd, lead you like Christ and how heavy that is, how hard that is. I need your prayers. We need your prayers. Please pray for our families. Pray for us as we do this. Another way we respond is by showing them Honor. Showing honor to who honor is due. 1 Timothy 5.17 says that for the men who pastor and lead, that they're worthy of honor. That we show them honor and respect for the charge that God's given to them. A third is obey your leadership. Obey their leadership. Hebrews 13.17 says that we are to obey our elders. You can read it. They've been put in your life to help you love and follow Jesus. Listen to what they have to say. Respond to what they have to say. Because it's not their words. They're teaching the word. Amen? If they're not teaching the word. Then they're not qualified for this calling. And so they shepherd and lead. Follow their leadership. Another one, imitate them as they imitate Christ. Imitate them as they imitate Christ. You should be able to look at their life and say, that person makes me see Jesus. And you should have people in your life who can look at your life and say, I want to be like John. I want to be like Susan. I want to be like Jim, because they love Jesus. And honestly, I want to be like Mike Lauren. I want to be like Gene Vermillion. I want to be like Daniel Boyles. I want to be like David Brewer and Charles Chandler. I want to be like these men, because when I see them, and I see their love for Jesus, and their love for the Word, and their love for you and the way they lead their families, I want to be that, because that looks like Jesus. Lastly, and most importantly, how do we respond? We worship Jesus, the true shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. When you read through this passage, I hope what comes out of it is just an overflowing sense of gratitude of God's grace to you and to our church that he would give us elders who can lead and who are called and who point us to Jesus. And so we should worship him, and he is the good shepherd. Listen to John 10, 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen to this. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. First Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd the overseer of your souls. Jesus is the chief shepherd and he laid down his life for you and for me and for this church that we might have life. And in God's grace, he's raised up men who are called to live like Jesus in front of you, to lovingly help you become like Christ, to lovingly help me become like Christ. That is a good gift of God to you and to me. Would you bow your heads this morning as we respond? Here's three ways I would encourage you to respond. The first is this. As you think about um, what we've talked about this morning and read from God's Word, one is how can you serve your elders this morning? They love and they serve you. How do you need to follow them? How do you need to serve and respond to them out of God's Word? And I encourage you to go back and read those verses What's your response to those men, to be an encouragement to them, to be obedient to God's work through them? And others, I just pray this morning you could respond and just thank God for his grace. That he doesn't just start a church and walk away and just trust us to have to try to figure it out, but that he has designed a system for us to flourish, for us to become like Jesus, for our protection, for our good, for our teaching. This is God's good gift to us. Just thank him for that third response is to think about that list, the 14 things, and say, Lord, what is off in my life? Do I have a well-ordered mind? Do I have a well-ordered life? Do I have a well-ordered emotions? Is, am I above reproach? Am I a one-woman man? Is there any addiction in my life? Is, am I not leading at home well? Am I showing hospitality? Whatever it is that's off, Lord, Forgive me. Help me in these areas to become more like you. And lastly, for some in this room, you might not have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know the good shepherd who's laid down his life for your sin in your place. The Bible says that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Place your faith in Jesus this morning. Lord, we love you, and we give ourselves in this time to you. We thank you that you are the good shepherd, and we follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated for a minute. I'm going to invite uh, my dad up on stage. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning that I think is going to be an encouragement to you. So uh, we talked about this. I guess about a month ago, but we are beginning to work into our services on a consistent basis. These things we're calling elder conversations. Uh, And this is an opportunity for us as kind of leaders, your leaders in the church, to be able to speak to our church body as a whole. Again, we're one church, two locations, three different services on a Sunday morning to speak to you guys about, uh, it could be celebration, encouragement of what God's doing in our family. Um, It could be something along the lines of vision and direction, and we had one of those last month where we talked about some of the goals and the generosity goal. It can also be theological and teaching, and so in light of our passage this morning and where First Timothy has us, we felt like it would be really important to come and talk about deacons. And so we're just going to have a short conversation about how deacons, what deacons are and how they function in the life of the church, and I get to do this with my father, which is awesome, a man who I look up to. Um, And so, that's what we're going to do. If you pull open your Bible back to 1 Timothy 3 and you look at verse 8 on, you're going to see Paul addressing deacons. And so, I just want to ask you, Dad, if you'd tell us a little bit, like, what are deacons uh, and what is their role within the church? All
1: right. Well, first of all, the word deacon, we need to understand, means to serve. And so the office of deacon is not so much an ecclesiastical role or administrative role in the church, but it's really a, an office of service uh, to the body of Christ. Uh, you know, in the, in the book of Acts, <clears throat> when it talks about the early church and how the early church was established, and out of necessity, the people in the early church basically shared all things in common. And things were working pretty well, and then they hit their first little snag, you might say, in Acts chapter six. Uh, there arose a dispute within the church at Jerusalem at that time, and and there was a, a complaint uh, by the Hellenistic Jews that the widows of their of, uh, that their widows were not being or, or were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so they brought this complaint to the apostles, and the apostles came together and decided that the best thing to do was to, uh, to seek out seven godly men who could come along and meet the practical needs of the body to free them up so they could continue to do what they were called to do as the apostles and the elders of the church. And so basically uh, what you have is a, a deacon is someone who is a godly man who is coming up underneath the leadership of the elders to meet the practical needs of the body for the purpose of preserving unity within the body of Christ.
0: That's good. So deacons, they serve, and the word for deacon literally is servant, and they fight for the unity of the body. So they're a gift of grace to us as they fight for our unity, and they fight to serve the body as a whole. And so, uh, tell us a little bit, what's the difference and distinction between what an elder is and a, and a deacon and kind of some of the qualifications for, for deacons?
1: Well, when you read uh, the passage there in 1 Timothy 3, you're going to find out that as far as the character of a deacon is concerned, it's very similar to that of the character of an elder. There's ri- virtually no difference really between the two. The real distinction between the elder, or an elder or a deacon, is that an elder is to be able to teach, and so elders are assigned the task of teaching and preaching within uh, the body of Christ, and the deacons are there to serve and meet the practical needs of of the body of Christ. So
0: one of the unique things that, that you see in, in the passage that we read earlier and from elders and for deacons that, uh, is that Paul doesn't really say in 1 Timothy 3 what deacons and elders do. What he does is he says who they are first. And who, what we do always flows out of who we are. If we're not pursuing and becoming like Christ, we're not going to be able to serve Christ for His glory. And so, one of the things I think that's really neat that what you're saying, and this helps the distinction in my mind, is that the elder and the deacon, they both live to exemplify Jesus to the church. The elder shepherds the church like Jesus shepherds the sheep. The deacon serves the church like Jesus serves the body and the sheep. And so, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that word serve that Jesus used is the exact same word for deacon. So Jesus says, I come not to be served by a deacon. I come to be a deacon for us, for the sheep. And so these men who serve our body, and you see their pictures up on the screen. Some of them you know, some of them you don't. What you do need to know is they serve faithfully and tirelessly every single week, this faith family. They sacrifice much to serve the people in this church. They do it behind the scenes. They do it without a lot of people knowing, and they do it unto the Lord for your good and for my good. Um, And so just tell us a little bit about how deacons function inside Tri-Cities Baptist Church faith family.
1: Well, first of all, I think it's really important for us to note the fact that here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, uh, we view the life groups as being uh, the first line of defense and ministering to the needs of the body of Christ. It makes a lot of sense because in a life group, you have a lot more people gathered around as families, and they can get involved in each other's lives, and they can help and come alongside and encourage and and, and minister to one another as they go through struggles in life. We all do. That's why we so much encourage people to be a a participant in a life group because that's the primary way that we go about ministering to needs. Now, we recognize that for whatever reason, uh, there are those who cannot participate in a life group, just not able to. And so we have uh, got a group of men, 15, in fact, that, that come along to try to make sure that these folks do not fall through the cracks, uh, to, to reach out to them. And and really, we have three areas of responsibility for our deacons. One would be what we call care teams, where they come along and they care for those who are uh, undergoing life-changing circumstances in their life. Maybe it's because they've gotten elderly. Maybe it's because they're frail. Maybe it's because they uh, are widowed. Maybe it's because they, uh, uh, there, there's, there's something else that I it's not coming to me. Forgive me for that. But, but there are special needs that exist uh, within a homebound is what I was thinking of. There are special needs that exist within our body that uh, our deacons come alongside to serve and to care for. And then there's also what we call the HELPS team. And the HELPS team, when they become aware of special needs, maybe a, a single mom or... Or a homebound person or something, maybe they have a need as far as an appliance repair or home repair or automobile repair or yard work or something like that. Our HELPS team gets engaged in coming alongside and ministering to those needs within the body. And then we also have what we call comfort teams. And comfort teams exist for the purpose of coming along and consoling people who are going through a crisis in their life. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of a home. It could be a bereavement, it could be uh, someone who's been involved in a terrible accident or illness or something like that, and they come along to comfort uh, those folks.
0: Uh, I don't know about you, but as we're talking through these things today, it just encourages my heart so much just to get to know that I'm a part of Tri-Cities Baptist Church and that God in His goodness and grace toward you and toward me and toward us has given a means by which to care for the people of God through leadership, reflecting Christ, through service, reflecting Christ, uh, equal value, equal worth, uh, just different roles than the body, fighting for your joy uh, and fighting for the joy of this family. And so if you're not in a life group, one of the takeaways would be we encourage you to be in one because that is where the primary care is going to come through throughout our church. Um, But also know that the deacons are there and they support and they come alongside the life groups in that to better serve this family so that you and so that I become more like Jesus. And so here's what we do want to do to wrap it up. We recognize again three campus or two campuses, three different services going on this morning, but we'd like the men in this room who are deacons, would you mind to just stand where you are? We just want to take a moment to recognize you. So we see your picture up on the screen so you can't get away. So go ahead and stand up. Let's just say thank you to these men who serve and their families You guys can be seated. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their families. They take on a lot of responsibility and a lot of sacrifice to ensure the health and unity of our body. Um, so pray for them. If you see them, encourage them. Think through how that you can be a blessing back to them. So I just want to ask Dad, if you would, just to pray for our deacons. And as he prays, ushers, if you would move uh, on up. We're going to respond through our time of offerings as we worship God through our giving. So we're going to pray for them and pray for the offering.
1: Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we recognize in this time just what a good and giving, Father, you really are. As Paul preached earlier, uh, the gift of elders, Father, is, is a gift that you have provided for us for the building up of the body and for the preservation of unity within the body. And, Lord, also the, el- the, the deacons are also a gift from you. Thank you, Lord, for these godly men who uh, so faithfully And so obediently sacrifice of their time and their energy to come alongside to meet the practical needs of the body of Christ here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Father, we ask that you would strengthen them. We pray that uh, that the the joy of the Lord would be their strength, that you would encourage them, that you would enable them, Lord, to be effective in their ministry uh, to the body of Christ. And, Lord, today as we enter into this time now of offering, Lord, may we reflect on your goodness and your mercy to us, your provision for us in so many ways. Lord, help us to respond this morning out of a heart of gratitude for all that you have done for us, all that you have given for us, all you have provided for us as we give back to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.